0: Well, good morning. You know, I, uh, I just love this time of year. I, I just love the fall, the cool mornings. Um, I, I love the, the fog or the mist sometimes in the morning. I like the afternoons that get warm, uh, maybe into the upper 50s, low, mid 60s, maybe creep into the 70s. I just love uh, the, the leaves turning, just everything about fall. I, I love it. You know, in fact... Yesterday afternoon, well, maybe three or four hours in the afternoon. No, the morning wasn't the most ideal. But the afternoon from maybe one o'clock till about four or four thirty was was perfect. If I could have bottled that and just kind of keep that, I, I would do it. It was perfect because you could be outside and not get too hot working. And it was warm enough that you didn't need a jacket. It was a perfect day for for raking leaves. Now, which is what I did for a few hours. We have a lot of trees in our backyard, and so the leaves just kind of fall um, throughout uh, the few uh, months of the, of the fall. Um, and it can, they kind of tend to pile up. So I spent a couple, two or three hours just raking leaves and getting rid of them and, and, and putting them in bins and stuff like that. Uh, I felt pretty good about it. And then I walked out this morning and it was covered again. Um, did all that work um, and didn't seem to make a difference. Now, does that frustrate me? Do, do I feel like I wasted my time and my energy? No, I don't. I, I kind of see it like uh, doing dishes uh, for a big family gathering at Thanksgiving. You know, um, you can do dishes along the way while the preparation is happening. You can do dishes between uh, dinner and dessert when you clear the table. Or you can wait till the very end when the dishes are piled high And the food is dried and the turkey's kicking in and you're tired. Personally, I would rather do them throughout and stay ahead of them, which is why I raked yesterday. I knew the grass would be covered again today. Uh, Now, just to clarify, uh, a few of you from the the first service, uh, after I shared this opening, uh, took it as, construed it as, I was voluntary to come in and do their leaves. Uh, th- that is not that is not the case. I I would be glad to do that, except I do not want to deprive you of of simple pleasures. So, uh, but there, there's something about being outside this time of year, you know, uh, and uh, and seeing something tangible. You get outside, you work, and you feel like, okay, I did that, I did that. You know, you can see different things. It's just kind of it, it feels good to me. It's satisfying uh, to me, and and I think maybe that has to tie in with, uh, with all human beings have this need to be able to. Do something, see a task, and have it done at the end of the day, you have to be able to look and see I did that. I cleaned that, I took that, checked off these things off my list uh, and, and I think it also ties in because as human beings we 're created with this this need to accomplish to to feel like what we 've done is making uh, you know a difference you know like like a farmer they, 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 they plant, they water, they tend, they wait, they cultivate. And when the last truck or trailer is emptied and the grain bin is full or been taken to the elevator, there's a sense, usually of satisfaction, isn't there, and you know, and, and gratitude. Now, now, most of us aren't farmers, and many of us have a farm background or you know, at least had some time on the farm, maybe a summer job. So, with raking leaves and doing yard work is about as close as we're going to come to you know, bringing a, a, a harvest, a harvest home. But but we 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 get the satisfaction when we when we do something like that when we gather these leaves and we 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 get rid of them and we clean up the lawn and we feel like we've accomplished something at the end of the day and I think that's kind of a metaphor for our lives, isn't it? Uh, isn't it what we want is that to know that our work and our efforts not just at the end of the day or the month or the year, but the end of our lives that it really accomplished something that something tangible was 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 achieved. Uh, we, w- we want to know that all our work and efforts, uh, that it was worth it in the end, that, that there's a payoff, there's a, there's a reward for what we've done. Well, today we're continuing a short sermon series on, on generosity or stewardship or giving. And um, as I said last week, this topic sometimes makes people feel uncomfortable. Uh, I, I get that. But as I also said last week, this topic is one that we can't avoid. I mean, uh, in light of Jesus' teaching, In view of a lot of the teaching of Scripture about uh, how we use our money, uh, how generous we are, how we give, and things like that, so so last week, this week, we're going to be talking about it. And And I hope that you know, rather than maybe tune me out and say, "Well, I've heard this before. I heard it last week," or rather than maybe you know getting defensive, perhaps that we and I use "we" because you know when a preacher preaches, he's usually preaching also to himself as well as the congregation. Uh, that we hope that we will allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Uh, And I hope that we'll allow the Holy Spirit to reveal where we need to make changes in regard to generosity. And and I hope that we allow the Holy Spirit to shape our thinking and our actions so that we live and we love and we give more and more like Jesus. So let's let's take a look. Let's dig in. How can we manage our resources in a way that At the end of our lives, we feel like it it was worth it, that we yield an abundant harvest. Well, according to to Paul, in the passage you read today, it is to give generously. He writes this in verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's often called the law of the harvest. You know, you reap what you sow. We, we try to teach our kids that, you know, you make this choice, you're going to have these consequences. You reap what you sow. Uh, we know how that works. You, you, you sow corn, you reap corn. You can't sow corn and expect to reap wheat. Uh, and not only that, but the more you sow, the more you reap. If you sow 10 acres of corn, you're not going to have 40 acres at the end of the fall. It doesn't work that way. So the more we scatter, the more we gather. And, and Paul then takes this, this law of the harvest that we see in farming, we see in life, and he applies it to, to finances and to, you know, to, to generosity. He says, In the same way that a farmer sows generously, reaps generously, a person who gives generously is blessed generously. Put another way, the more generously we give, the more abundantly God provides. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a second. What about the health and wealth gospel? No, we're going to get to that. That's not what we're saying, but hang on to that thought. We'll come back to it. So, so one of the reasons, the context here, is one of the reasons that Paul uh, is, is addressing this topic. One of the reasons he wrote 2 Corinthians was to follow up on something he, that he had done and asked of the Corinthians in the first letter. Uh, in, in the first letter, he had asked them to take up a collection uh, because the believers in Jerusalem were being persecuted. Uh, they were under they were in tough times financially. They were suffering actual real physical needs. They were suffering the hardship. And, and so Paul uh, sees this as an opportunity for the, the body of Christ, the Gentile churches in the region to come together and support their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And so he writes letters to the churches. And we have the first letter to the church in Corinth. And, and apparently reading between the lines uh, that the, the church in Corinth said, yes, we'll do that. We'll take up an offering. Uh, we'll support the Jerusalem church and we'll send it on. But as of yet, apparently, they haven't, they haven't done that yet. They haven't you know followed through on their on their pledge. And, and so Paul writes this letter, kind of a follow-up. It's a good, it's good fundraising technique. You follow up to remind them, hey, remember you said you were going to do this? Uh, and he, he doesn 't do it to shame them; he just wants to give them an opportunity to follow up on their conflict on their on their on their commitment and, and we we don 't know why they haven 't i don 't think they 've forgotten about it, but maybe they 're going through a tough time maybe unemployment 's high, maybe there was a national disaster in in Corinth um, you know uh, maybe inflation 's up and interest rates are up and Maybe they're concerned about their own financial needs. Um, Maybe there wasn't a hardship and they just thought, you know, we've we've worked hard for this. We have our own needs. We have our own ministry dreams. And so we're we're just we're not going to follow through. Whatever reason, they they were reluctant to part with the money that they had committed. You know, several years ago, Ted Turner, maybe you recall, he made a it was a huge splash, a big buzz when he pledged to give one billion dollars to the United Nations in their their charitable work. He was going to do this over ten years, and at the time, it was the largest financial or philanthropic, philanthropic gift ever given. Uh, But you also remember that his financial empire came into trouble, and he was not able to fulfill the pledge, though he promised to do so. Well, we know what that's like on a smaller scale. You know, we we want to help this person, we want to help this family, we want to commit to this ministry, or whatever it might be. We want to be generous, but. When push comes to shove, it's not easy to do that sometimes, is it? And that's the situation the Corinthian church finds themselves in. Uh, For whatever reason, they have not come through with their financial gift. So, Paul sends this letter to encourage them and to address their fears. Because uh, apparently they were worried, well, if we give, we won't have enough to take care of ourselves and this and that. So Paul reminds them of the law of the harvest. The more you give, the more you gather. If they would be faithful, he says, God would not only provide all that they needed to keep their commitment, but he would ensure that their gifts accomplished good things in Jerusalem. It would be not wasted. It would be worthwhile. It would reap a harvest. So there's more going on here than just a a fundraising letter from from Paul. Uh, He's talking about a lifestyle and an issue of discipleship. Uh, it's not just a one-time offering because according to paul the best way to deal with financial pressure is to give generously it seems counter you know in, intuitive that the more you give generously the more abundantly god provides you might be thinking well w- wait a second Doug what if what if i'm in need shouldn't i hang on to what i have wouldn't that make more sense well, sure, we should not use our resources in such a way that we are a burden to others. But let's be honest, for the vast majority of that's us, that's not the, not the case. When we cling, what we cling to reveals what we trust in, it reveals what we, what we treasure. And if we want to have something to show for our life when it's over, Paul asserts give generously. Have the spirit of generosity. Now the word generous appears four times in these six verses. In English, the word means to be liberal in giving or sharing. In the original Greek, it means to be open-hearted. I like it, open-hearted. An attitude of, of compassion, of, 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 of caring, of, of, of sacrifice, of generosity towards open others. Open-hearted. It's the opposite of fear And stinginess, and I think we understand that principle. But what does it look like? What 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 makes it generous giving? Well, well, first of all, according to verse seven, generous giving is it's personal. You know, Paul writes, each one of you should give. This is not just left to those who have the resources, or to certain people who have the spiritual willingness or ability. He indicates that he expects everybody, a part of the body of Christ in Corinth, to contribute something to help their brothers and sisters in in, in Jerusalem. And there would have been all kinds of people in that church, just like in our church, a variety of people. In their case, there would have been working class, wealthy people, people in between, maybe even some slaves. Some had much, some had little. Paul didn't expect them all to give the same amount, but he expected them to, to contribute something. This is true for any church today. Generosity begins with me. Generosity begins with with you. We are all invited and urged to give. There aren't any exceptions. And while it's likely we would probably agree with that, that concept, that idea, in, in reality, the research shows it doesn't happen. O- according to one survey, about 31% of church attenders give little or nothing to their churches or to charities of any kind. Sometimes in a large church, people feel like the gifts may, maybe don't make a difference, but they do. Each gift helps the church continue its work, but also each gift helps us grow spiritually in our discipleship. And so if we want to experience the, the, the blessing of God, if we want to see God working in us and through us, if we want to see a harvest at the end of our lives, then we are to give generously. So, so generosity is personal, but it also is it's intentional. It's, it's thoughtful. Paul says, each should give what you have decided. In, in other words, don't give impulsively. Don't give you know, haphazardly. Think about what you're going to give. Put some thought into it. If your pattern is to wait for the offering to be announced and then see what's in your wallet, probably not a mark of generosity. The person who gives thoughtfully and consistently is a person who gives generously. Generously. So, so how do we arrive at a, a commitment? How do we arrive at you know, some sort of level uh, understanding of what this looks like practically? Well, the, the New Testament, interestingly, doesn't tell us how much we're supposed to give. The, the fact is the New Testament doesn't discuss tithing because people were already doing it. I mean, the early church was comprised of, the very earliest church was comprised of, of, of Jews. they had been tithing their whole lives. They certainly would have brought that practice with them into the church. And so, in other words, what, what Paul encourages believers to give generously, he has in mind something above that. And what the New Testament teaches is proportionate giving. But studies reveal that the average church attender gives about 2.5% of their income, which I don't think that what Paul, is what Paul had in mind. Third, generosity, generous giving is passionate. Paul continues in verse 7. Uh, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. In other words, if our decision is simply a cold calculation, if it's simple math, if we run the numbers in a spreadsheet, there's not gratitude attached, there's not joy attached. It it doesn't qualify as as, as generous. Generous is to be open-hearted, an expression of our heart as well as our mind. I mean, we should feel something when we when we when we make a donation when we make us when we make a sacrifice for a, for a ministry of some kind when we make a sacrifice to help somebody in need whether it's gratitude because God has blessed us and we're able to do it or or maybe it's uh, compassion for the people or the cause we're giving to or maybe even this uh, a little being stretched a little bit of anxiety about the the amount we're giving away if you don't feel anything when you give it, it's probably not generous finally generous giving is 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 cheerful it's marked by joy Paul says we're not to give reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver So if you you give out of a sense of of duty or or guilt or manipulation because of what somebody says or what I say or what you feel here from the church or or fear that God's going to punish you, then you're missing the point. God loves a cheerful giver. He wants us to experience joy in the sacrifice, in the generosity. You know, Sometimes people say you should give till it hurts. I once heard a pastor say give till it feels good. I like that. Give till it feels good. Give till it feels like you're making a difference. Give till it feels like you're growing in discipleship. True generosity is always accompanied by, by joy. You know, earlier in Second Corinthians, um, Paul uses a metaphor to describe us. He says, we are jars of clay. And we have this incredible treasure of the good news of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, of uh, a relationship and new life in Christ. We, we have it. We hold it. We are jars of clay. And I like that metaphor because, you know, a, a jar is meant to hold something, right, for the purpose uh, of blessing others, of sustaining others. I mean, you leave oil or water or, or wine in a jar of clay for too long. What happens? It goes bad. It's wasted. You put water or wine or oil into a jar of clay to, <clears throat> to hold it temporarily so they can be drawn upon, <clears throat> distributed, and given away. And, and we're clay in that. We're, we're fragile. We're not always solid. We waver. We can be fearful. And on our fear regarding our resources is that if we give too much away, we're not going to have enough for us. But the wonderful thing about jars of clay is that when they run out, they can be filled again, right? Filled again and again. And again, and as long as you have an adequate supply of water or wine or oil, there's no danger of running out. And how adequate is God's supply for us? Paul says this in verse eight. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I mean, ask somebody who gives generously if God has ever failed to supply their needs. Ask them if they regret giving something to God. Now, notice that God provides, or that God promises to provide what we need, and not what society tells us that we, that we must have. So this is not a health and wealth prosperity gospel promise where you give seed money with the expectation that God will reward you with more. It's not a financial investment strategy to grow your portfolio. It's, it's not a guarantee that you will never have financial struggles or that you'll never have to go without something. Rather, this promise, God assures us that God knows what we need and that he will provide all we need so that we can do all that he asks us to do. And we can't out God, I don't believe. We are jars of clay. He pours into us. We empty it. He fills us. Over and over the cycle happens. You know, sort of like those uh, old uh, birthday candles, You know, the ones that uh, you, you can't blow out. They, they, you blow them out, they, they sputter, they come back. Keep. It's like that. We empty ourselves. Following the example of Christ, we empty ourselves. But then it flares up again in us as, as God is God fills us and blesses us so that we can be a blessing to the people around us. So giving generously means giving personally, thoughtfully, passionately, and cheerfully. And the law of the harvest simply says that when you give generously, you will find that you have everything that you need that you'll have everything that you need to do and to give as God calls you to do. But here's the catch. In order for the law of the harvest to work, you have to give first and receive later. You have to act in faith to see the reward later. It's like the farmer who goes out and buys seed and puts it in the ground and and waters and and cultivates and Trust that the rain's going to come and the sun will shine and it's going to grow and that there will be a harvest down the line. Sowing seed is, a, is an act of, of faith. So is sowing generously. So how do we manage our resources and our lives in a way that will reap a harvest down the road? Remember the principle, you reap what you sow. And when we sow joyfully and we sow generously... God promises we will reap generously. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word, and we thank you for the example that you have given us of, of generosity. You have generously blessed us with life, with an amazing world in which to live. you bless blessed us with family and friends. Uh, Lord, you have blessed us with your word and your spirit. You bless us with the body of Christ, and of course, most supremely, you bless us with the gift of your Son, who gave of his life sacrificially, willingly, lovingly. So Father, grow us and stretch us, that we would become more generous, that we would so generously with our lives, our resources. And Lord, trusting that you will meet the needs that we have, and Lord, that you will take take our sacrifices, take the things that we've sown for your kingdom, and and we trust that you will use them for your glory. And at the end, it will all be worth it. It will all make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen.